Welcome to You Learn Something New Every Day on Community Roundup. I am Joan Boyko, Coordinator of Communications and Community Outreach for the Palm Springs Unified School District. We are here with you the second Sunday of each month to share something new and exciting about the district. Thank you to Alpha Media for allowing us the opportunity to be a part of the show. Our segment, of course, is produced by my dedicated student interns in the Digital Arts Technology Academy, also known as DATA, at Cathedral City High School under the direction of Mr. Bryce Johnson. Our new interns are Cody Rasmussen and Emiliano Segovia. And if you like what you hear, I will share information on how to hear more by subscribing to our podcast at the end of the segment. And today I am very pleased to welcome back our Palm Springs Unified Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, Dr. Simone Kovach. Welcome back. Thank you, Joan. I'm so excited to be back with you. Thank you for being here. And we always around this time do uh, kind of an annual check-in and we're going to do that today. And, you know, Ed Services is it's where the buck stops, really, I guess, second to the superintendent. But without ed services, we have absolutely nothing because this is what, you know, we're we're all about educating kids and, and it starts in educational services. So lots to talk about. And what I want to start with is how long have you been with Palm Springs Unified and in what capacities? Well, I've been with Palm Springs Unified since March of 2009. I need to really work on my math because I guess that's about what? John, 14? 14 years, 14 years. Wow. Uh, I came to the district as the principal of Della Lindley Elementary School, which I love. And I was there a little over eight years, about eight years, three months before I transitioned to the role of um, director of elementary curriculum and instruction. Um, I was in that position for four years and I am... Gosh, just finished my second year as the Assistant Super of Educational Services and excited to start year three. It, it goes by fast, doesn't it? Oh, it's, just, it's crazy. Quickly. Yes, it's crazy. I've been here 23 years and like, uh, no joke, I remember my first day like it was the other day. And I think the older you get, the more that happens, you know, like the, the time just goes by so fast. And you Thanks for get... reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the really the young kids don't understand that because they're just anxious to get to a certain, you know, like milestone age, whether it's 18 or 21 or, you know, but I kind of feel like after 30, it just just whipped by. And so that's why we have to embrace you know, every day and, um, and, and enjoy it and not focus on, you know, the negative stuff. We got to keep positive and just be happy and like take every day as a gift. That's, I agree. that's what I think. So, okay. Educational services, as I mentioned, as, is everything. <laughs> exactly. So, because, you know, we have a limited amount of time, but what, departments fall under educational services and about how many directors and managers do you oversee? <laughs> oh, we have educational services. Um, our department has two branches and one is student learning, which encompasses all education from uh, preschool, early childhood through um, adult ed, really. 
And then that's all of the nuts and bolts of instruction, curriculum development, assessment, state and federal programs. I also have the opportunity to oversee our diversity and racial equity department, uh, performing arts, English language, English language programs, and even Title IX and CTE. I know I'm rambling. However, it's a huge division of our department. And then we have student support services, which is all of like child welfare and attendance, um, we've student services, mental health, special education, um, health services. It's just, uh, it, it's a large department, but we are so committed to not only educating students and then supporting them in other areas such as social emotional health, mental health, health um, their well-being, supporting families, because we also have our um, district parent center as well. So we truly try to collaborate so that we overlap in so many ways, even though there are two divisions to my department. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And do you know about how many uh, directors and managers? Like I could count. I I, I <laughs> wow, as far as directors? Probably gotta be uh, what? 12, 13, 14, oh yeah. But then we also need to think about coordinators. So right. all together, easily 20, 25. Right. Yeah, easily. And, you know, I don't particularly like. To, I'm exhausted now, Joan. I, I know. I'm, <laughs> I don't particularly like to like uh, dwell on the past, especially when the past involves a discussion of COVID-19. But one of the things like there's been a lot of silver linings, too. And those I like to bring to the forefront because uh, we learned a lot and we learned especially around technology. And, you know, I always say in the, on the East Coast, they will never have another snow day because they don't have to. They just will make an announcement to the parents saying, you're all gonna be online today and they can do it in a heartbeat. And no, it's not optimal, but it's better than having to cancel school, right? So, I mean, there's, there's that, there's the fact that we're able to, uh, have large groups take advantage of a really cool guest speaker that may be in LA or in New York or, you know, like for theater or for filmmaking or like anything. So there's that. But what I wanted to, I, I thought of it as you were talking about your department. Um, during COVID, I came to every educational services meeting. And I never did that before, but because you guys are the nuts and bolts and uh, it was important to know where we were going, how we were going to get there and be able to communicate that. I did. I didn't talk much, but I listened intently and you got a heck of a team there is my point. And it took me a long time to get there. But, you know, that's that's me. People who listen to this show know I eventually get there. Um, <laughs> every single person didn't matter what their title was, is, or their job description. They were all like, I'll do whatever needs to be done and we'll make this work. And it was all new and it was all, and I was just so touched by that. And I'm sure you, you too, you were, oh. you know, second to the, um, Dr. Sweezy is now our superintendent was in your position at that time. And 
I, I just marveled at that. But that's that's what it's like here. No, it is. And I think not only do we have such a great team in educational services and all of our other departments in the district, but the number of times we had to pivot and modify or change a plan. And we just did it. We just yeah. I think I, I've always I always I've said this a few times, like maybe everybody went home and kicked their dog or you know, punched their husband or whatever. Um, but when they were here, they were just there was no you know, like pushback at all. It was like, we need to do this. I will do everything I can to get it done. And we, exactly. we did pretty well. You know, again, wasn't optimal, wasn't optimal for anybody, but uh, we did the best we could. And it's because we have such a, we have a great board of education and a great cabinet and great directors and managers and principals and everybody's just on board to do what's best for kids and that's why I'm so grateful to work in this mm -hmm. district. I, I agree with you completely and we just have a fabulous district and as you said our priority is to support students, staff, families and that's why we're here and it's we enjoy doing it. Exactly. As a so, matter of how many plans we have. We <laughs> right so here we are just about a month before we launch the 23-24 school year, uh, take a, a couple minute or two to reflect on uh, some of our successes this past school year. There have been so many, Joan, but what I really want to focus on as I reflect is our implementation, our, our work beginning toward to develop a multi-tiered system of supports for our students. And it's a framework that many schools use to give targeted support to struggling students. And I think after the pandemic, we needed that system in place more than ever. And it really, when we're looking at it, it has three tiers. And there's a base tier that we call tier one, where on the academic side, we want best first instruction and ensuring we're implementing strategies that we've learned from professional development or best practices. We're also addressing the social emotional health or learning of students, which could also include mental health, and then trying to address some of the behavior challenges that um, some of our students may have. Because if we think about it, we had students who had been out of school for two years, or even students who were coming back to us in second grade who hadn't been in school at all. So just some of those, the socialization um, was affected in some cases. And we as a team, whether it was the student learning side or the student support services side, we came together to determine that this was a system that was essential in our district. And we began to slowly have conversations with principals among ourselves and in cabinet to roll it out. And um, in the 22-23 school year, we really took our time to focus on those tier one strategies and structures. We allowed our principals time to collaborate around those, to reflect on what they had in place in their school sites, and to really talk about how they were going to solidify those effective practices in tier one. Okay, so so let me stop you for a second. So tier one. Now, did we start MTSS prior to COVID or was it something that came out of COVID? 
No, we, we had had discussions in the district about moving toward that framework, but we really solidified it after COVID. Okay, so tier one, is it accurate to say that, that that's like the, Base. the basics? Yes. And it, it really applies to everybody. All students. Right. So, so just give a, yeah, and we're going to, we're going to talk about tier two and three in the second half of our show. And that's a little teaser for all of you listening on the radio that you're going to want to pull up the podcast, but I'll tell you about that in a little bit. So tier one, just give a, a, and I think you already did, but to just put it in simple terms, like what does that entail? What services and how does it work? Okay, so if I think of tier one on the academic side, what we want to see in the classroom is evidence that there's um, kind of a concept of that the lessons have been designed to ensure that all students have access to the content. It's that base instruction in the classroom. And we've actually had training on universal design for learning where all of our teachers are slowly being trained on how to plan for and create lessons and really reflecting on the students that are in front of them and what do they need to incorporate or integrate to ensure there's access for all, whether they be an English language learner or a student who has an IEP. So that's tier one in that area. All right, so getting back to MTSS tier one, you talked about the academic side and what else? Well, um, we have to remember that, as I said, tier one is the whole class. Now, if we are going to move students to a tier two level, we have to be very clear um, about the assessment that we're going to use because tier two is more for small group interventions on that academic side. And then if students aren't responding to those interventions, what assessment are we going to use to determine whether or not they're responding and whether or not they need tier three, which is more individualized support. And so that, how do you determine um, kids who, you know, everybody's getting the, the tier one services and that's for, uh, first best instruction? Yes. Best first? Best first instruction. Best first instruction. And then there, there is going to be, you know, some, some, What's the word I'm looking for? Not fallout, but some shakeout of kids that need more than that. Yes. So um, how, and, and so you said that you, you determine this through assessment? Yeah. And what we're looking at now, um, we have a STAR assessment that is administered to all students, K-12, really TK-12 at the beginning of each school year. But we're also looking at a screener to help us go deeper in some elementary areas such as reading intervention. However, we need to consistently check for understanding and monitor student progress so we can determine where the areas that students, some students may be struggling. And then those small group, um, small groups targeted instruction um, really should be fluid. So for instance, if there's a certain concept that students are struggling with, we can provide them with small group instruction, but let's say there's another concept that they're doing fine with, then it may be different students that need support in that area. So we wanna make sure that the groups are fluid. 
Um, and differentiation will support that, even differentiation in tier one, which is where I tapped into a training we've been um, rolling out, which is universal design for learning. And in that training, teachers are given resources and opportunities to learn from each other to actually differentiate instruction and to embed different modalities in their instruction so that all students can access the curriculum. And that is a part of the MTSS framework in our district. It's very interesting. And I did talk to Mark Arnold, who is our executive director of student learning. We talked about UDL for a while when he, he was on the show. Um, we mainly focused on dual, dual immersion, but yes. we did talk about that when he was on the show in April. And I go back to, and it was when I first came to the district, and I, I know I didn't ask you what you did before you came here, but you didn't, you weren't fresh off the college. No, I was a principal in another district. In okay, so, so you will remember a curriculum called Open Court. Oh, of course. Right? And um, my first principal's meeting, I was with my notepad because I was writing down every educational term under the sun and then looking them up because there's so many and those of us who have been around for a while we just use them and don't realize that most of the world doesn't know what they stand for or what they mean so more acronyms than anything else right? exactly so we're in we're in principals meeting i'm sitting next to our deputy superintendent at the time and they're they're talking about open court and the principals go through a whole list of here's here's what's wrong with this and you know all the complaints and I whispered to him I said when does the court meet and I stopped the meeting of course because he just busted out laughing and like, he's like I just did <laughs> well Joan it's a curriculum and I'm like okay how would I possibly know that number one and number two it sounds awful. And here's my point. I, here I go again, finally getting to the point, is that now we have UDL, right? And we have our, our um, grade level teams and, and our small groups deciding how to best deliver instruction to kids, which makes perfect sense. And not every kid learns the same way on the same day, right? But open court was a script. And the thing that frustrated the teachers the most was that they could they weren't allowed to deviate from the script it's like this is what you teach and that's all there is to it and you know too bad if you want to do something else and it didn't last long because that just didn't make a whole lot of sense this makes a whole lot more sense well and it does and I think it's important that we do have a systematic approach um, to instruction but I agree with you that curriculum or the program that we adopt, that's the tool. However, we need to give teachers the resources and training to so that they feel comfortable to embed opportunities for students to access the curriculum, right? Absolutely. And I and, and that's important. That's okay. Important. So said, everyone learns in a different way. I interrupted you again. So you were talking I'm about DL. No, no, you should be sorry. I'm sorry. But um we're on tier two. And you, anything you want to add about that and then tell us what tier three looks like. Yeah, well, if we're thinking of tier two, those students who are in tier one, the whole class, all students still participate 
in those lessons uh, in the classroom with their, their peers. However, they will um, also have an opportunity to get additional support in a tier two structure. Let's just say, for instance, in elementary school, we have guided reading. So guided reading is a time where students can participate in the content, but they may be pulled into a small group with a teacher or a support staff or an intervention teacher in the classroom or outside of the classroom to provide instruction um, at their accessibility level per se. So we always want to ensure that we're providing that additional support for students who need it. And if we see that they're not responding to that, what is going to be our next step, which could be tier three, which is more intensive individualized support. And the most important piece of this framework, not the most important piece, every, every element is important, but just being sure that we understand the data and the assessment that we're using to gather that data as we're moving students um, throughout the tiers. Makes sense. Okay, and then tier three? Yeah, tier three is the more intensive individualized support. So if tier one and tier two, if the students aren't responding to that, then we determine that they may need some more individualized support, which would be tier three. And then at, at, at some point, it goes beyond just the classroom teacher who's providing these services, right? We have other people on the yes. team at the sites who are doing that. Who are those people? Well, for instance, in elementary school, each elementary school has a primary reading intervention teacher that um, we, are, we have allocations for, and it's been great. Um, we'll be going into our third year for that. Now, and even if we're looking at secondary, each secondary um, school, middle or high school, they also have a math intervention teacher in place to support in that area because we are really um, struggling in math at the middle school level, secondary level as a whole. So we have supports in place for that. And we are very proud that we're actually going to be moving forward this school year with reading intervention teachers in the middle school. Oh, that's great. So we can expand on the work that's taking place in elementary. Because remember, we have students in middle school who may have missed some real core concepts during the pandemic. So we need to help catch them up as well. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's funny because I, my next question, it's kind of a good transition. You talked about, you know, what the more support that's needed after the pandemic and my question is, uh, especially coming out of COVID-19, and we're not fully out of it, but we're, we're out of it enough that it doesn't have to affect the way we do things anymore. Um, what do you feel are the biggest challenges facing our students and staff, and how can parents help support us and their kids? Well, I think um, we have to be realistic and face the fact that the need for social emotional learning and mental health support is greater than ever before. And we're so proud of our student support services team um, that have really been on the forefront of ensuring that we have mental health therapists um, and in the work with the foundation, wellness centers, um, curriculum for social emotional learning, 
social workers at school sites, prevention specialists. We've really, we've tried to balance that importance of academics as well as the social, emotional, and mental well-being of not only students, but staff. And, so, and speaking of that, you know, seems like Palm Springs Unified is usually on the ground floor of innovative ways to do great things for kids. And one of those was, you know, we were one of, and I know there's a few more now, but when we launched our mental health department, which is probably- uh, Before pandemic, yeah. Oh, way before. Right. I, probably, it's at least 10 years and it's probably Easily. 15. Um, there, were, there was maybe one other district in Riverside County that had its own mental health department. And now there's several more, but those have, I think those were launched after the pandemic. Um, we, of course, you, you know, every district contracts out for mental health services and we do too when, when the need is there, but we have so much that's part of our own department that yeah. we're able to provide and, and didn't stop for a millisecond during the pandemic. We couldn't do it in person, but we, we were busy and just, just kept at it. And that's another thing that we need to really be proud of here because uh, a lot of districts don't have that. Well, and I would say not even just the mental health, but when we think about our medical assistance at each school site, um, which helped support the sites, you know, it was so such a challenge to find nurses, but now that we have medical assistance, now we have to really start reflecting on when we're looking at our LCAP and funding, what do we value or what do we see that we really need now that's different than what we would have thought previously. And now that we're coming up on the development of a new three-year LCAP, we are reflecting on that because we've used a lot of one-time dollars for new positions, but now what do we truly value as a district to maintain? And what are some things we, we feel that we can um, let go? What's more and, important? And, you know, I mean, we only have a couple minutes left. We could spend a whole show talking about this, but I think we learned through the pandemic, we always knew there was a great need for a lot of our kids outside of the academics. But I think during the pandemic and when they came back, we realized how much greater that is than we even realized because so many kids, their home life is not great. And coming to school is their safe place, is their place where they get love and support and food and, you know, assistance with health. And, and I mean, every, we're, we're their parents for, you know, the majority of the day. And some, some of them, when they go home, they don't have that. And we, we need to, we, we realize, I think now that how important that is, and it's even bigger than we thought it was. It is, and, and how thankful we should be that we were actually allocated funding that we can utilize for those resources, even recently with expanded learning opportunities. Yeah. Students can still be on campus in those certain grade levels, those core grade levels of TK through eight, and have the additional meals, have the opportunities, enrichment. So we're very, we're very thankful. Um, All right, so one more, one more question for you. After you retire, uh -oh. many years from now, we hope it's many years <laughs> from now, what do you hope your legacy will be? That everyone remembers me as someone who put our students and families first. 
above all. And you know what? That should be, to me, that should be everybody's legacy. And you don't have to worry about that, Dr. Kovach. Oh, okay. Thank you, Joan. I'm working on it. (laughs) Because you already have. So thank you so much for being here. Truly appreciate it. We will, of course, have you back next year for an update. And thank you all for joining us. We learn something new every day. A new podcast is uploaded each week. Please subscribe by going to iTunes. Look, we learn something new. Press subscribe. Please tell all your friends to do the same. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Cody and Emiliano. And we will see you next week.